The views expressed in this episode of Squared Circle Gazette Radio aren't necessarily the true opinions of the individuals in the prosecution or the defence. But for the sake of debate, it's time to go to court. Hello everyone and welcome to the 95th Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I am Liam O'Rourke alongside Matt Holt. I didn't expect to go first. <laughs> Luke Edwards. <laughs> well, I did expect to go second. <laughs> G. John Chase. I am judge, jury and the executioner that attacked Undertaker. No, wait, hold on. <laughs> and Carl Jones. After the trial, I get to keep this birdcage. <laughs> and we are back this week for the latest in the Squared Circle Gazette Radio Trials. Uh, we've previously had Triple H, Eric Bischoff, Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan, Paul Heyman and CM Punk on trial, which you can hear in the archives at squaredcirclegazette.com. Uh, this week it's the trial of The Undertaker, and of course as well as uh, the debate between us here today around the oaken table, uh, we have your witness statements, your thoughts and feedback on, uh, on this discussion and this debate. But with that said, uh, I'm going to pass this now over to the judge. G. John Chase to explain the charge and the teams. Yes, well, folks, we're going to be dealing with The Undertaker today. The charge is The Undertaker and WWE for misrepresentation of stature and fraud in overstating his success and impact on the WWE. We have the prosecution, which will consist of Liam O'Rourke and Carl Jones. Yeah! And the defence, which will consist of Matt Holt and Luke Edwards. Objection! <laughs> and uh, and thankfully for all of us, no, uh, no Kieran here either to... Uh, Stick his oar in, I'm sure. Two minutes. <laughs> Two minutes. Ah, you'd do the same if I wasn't here. So I think, folks, it's time for opening statements, and we'll uh, take it over to the prosecution. I believe it's going to be Mr. Carl Jones. Your Honour, as you have already pointed out, we are here today to press for the charge that The Undertaker and the WWE are guilty for misrepresentation of stature and fraud in overstating The Undertaker's success and impact on the WWE. This is a man who, thanks to World Wrestling Entertainment, has managed to sustain what you could describe as a skyscraper of a reputation. However, I would argue this is a skyscraper built on sand. <laughs> In many ways, it's kind of like a mirage. It's fraudulent. It's a fallacy. And it's all just to benefit this mean individual. Throughout the course of this trial, we will show, through a three-pronged attack, which we are dubbing a decade of destruction, the biker slash dead man part deux, <laughs> and the special attraction years, we will show throughout that entire period that this man, for whatever merits he may have, they are all undercut by his own selfish actions and the narrow worldview of World Wrestling Entertainment who attempt to exploit their paying customers through this complete charade that The Undertaker meant far more to the world of World Wrestling Entertainment than he did in, in actual fact. I dare say that the defence will point to things such as longevity perhaps, that he stayed the course. It's mere diversionary tactics to get away from the truth and as we will point out Your Honour the truth is, this man is but a fraud. Okay, thank you, Carl Jones. Okay, well, I'll take it over to defence where it will be as big a surprise to me as it is to you. <laughs> Your Honour, it is as big a surprise to me as it is to you. <laughs> For less than 24 hours ago, I did not know I was going to be here. Kieran O'Rourke was originally scheduled for this post, as listeners from last week will recall. 
It is but myself and poor, innocent, humble Holt here to basically do the easiest job we've ever done. I have been accused previously of being um, somewhat over-aggressive, perhaps, in some of these, uh, somewhat overconfident in some of my statements. In this instance, I do not believe any exaggeration is required when I say I am looking forward to hearing what the prosecution pull out of their asses just as much as our audiences, ladies and gentlemen, because this is a tough one for them, and we're going to try to make it easy for them. We're going to try to give them a chance, because if we really go 100% as a defensive team, their little jobber prosecution over there wouldn't be getting so far. We're going to sit here and talk about The Undertaker as you know him. We aren't going to need to exaggerate about the man who is a living legend. The defence might as well rest at this point, but uh, maybe that would be taking it a little too easy on them. Okay, shall we get to the first tier, shall we say, of Undertaker's career, which I believe he said it was going to be the Decade of Destruction. Okay, so I'll pass it over to the prosecution and to Mr. Liam O'Walk. Thank you very much, Your Honour. A lot was said in the early go in terms of setting the scene. Obviously, the prosecution is... A, we have an agenda here today. We have something that we're trying to, to get at. And obviously, the defence has taken the opinion that I believe most of our loyal listeners will as well. The witness statements that we're going to get to throughout the course of this uh, of this show. When you kind of analyse the situation with Undertaker and WWE and the longevity and the fact that he's, he's unique and different, we're not going to deny any of those things here today. The point of this is not to say that The Undertaker is a bad worker at points. Being a bad worker is not necessarily what The Undertaker is about anyway, or a good worker by, by traditional metrics, but we're looking to analyse how effective The Undertaker was in his roles, and it starts with his decade of destruction, because when he came in, he had a fantastic debut in 1990, he was a very, very hot character, he, uh, I'm going to do the defensive job for them in terms of giving stats, in 1991, him and the Ultimate Warrior outdrew Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter during the summer on house shows, no doubt, hot start for The Undertaker character, very unique, captured the imagination of the masses at a time when a character like this really worked. It goes through pretty much the bulk of 91. He turns babyface at the start of 92, and this is where we begin one of two of the putrid death row periods of The Undertaker. Because, listen to the opponents he gets. Kamala, Giant Gonzalez, Yokozuna in the casket feud where he dies and goes to heaven, the fake Undertaker, legendarily bad, and Yokozuna again, another awful feud, IRS because the dead don't pay taxes, King Kong Bundy, the supreme boring machine at Khan Mustafa, King Mabel. On paper, that's a real rogues gallery as it is. What we have here for the first five years of The Undertaker is one year of effectiveness followed by four years of absolute dross. Awful wrestling, awful matches, and as, as time goes on, his effectiveness as a house show draw plummets. Previous to the Royal Rumble Night 4 with the death and going to heaven, he was a considerable house show draw that falls after, the, after the, uh, the return in the summer of 94 of his house shows Plymouth, we all saw these horrible feuds. And a part of this debate is, a lot of the people who, who see the flip side of this and, and judge it based on their heart instead of their heads, do so because they grew up as children with The Undertaker as a staple of WWF programming. And that's fine, we understand that that's what it is, because the, we all look back fondly through nostalgic glasses at things that not, might not necessarily be graded all that well today. We're talking about stuff like the Yokozuna casket match, which some people might have a fondness for, or the fake Undertaker, regardless of how it actually did artistically at the time, which is a disaster. The Undertaker, when you judge him by this mythological metric that a lot of people seem to do, that's where the defence is going to lie, pretty much. When you judge The Undertaker by most common metrics, 
ratings, house shows, buy rates, merchandise, live event attendance, things of that nature, the same metrics you would judge success for any other wrestler by, he doesn't come off especially strong. He's a guy who does as well as the company is doing at the time in general. He's not a special attraction during this first decade of destruction. He's a guy on the roster. He does as well in the ring as the opponent he's against, and he does as well at the box office as the company itself is doing at the time. Kevin Nash is the person who I feel revitalizes The Undertaker in 96 before Mick Foley even does, and that's the first interesting feud he does in, in quite some time. Mankind comes along, he has a good 96, but that's four years, again, of ineffective, awful wrestling. This isn't just a, a retrospective nitpick at The Undertaker saying, oh, everybody knows this is horrible. And a lot of the argument against this is, well, it's the company that gave The Undertaker these feuds. It's not The Undertaker's fault that he had to work with these schlubs. Well, if the company gave The Undertaker the character itself, which is the whole point of the drawing card of The Undertaker, well, this is the, the debate, the, the, the special character that makes him unique, but at the same time, the company then gives him the opponent to feed this character, and the end result is awful, horrible product, how is that not the, the, the fault of The Undertaker and the WWE? I mean, you know, Mark Calloway, his own individual performances we're going to get to throughout the course of this show, but just talking at a simple, base, fundamental level of what this character as a babyface was designed to be, it was a movie monster who was not going to be the top guy, and he never was during this period of time. He was not responsible for anchoring the shows. He was not responsible for being the best worker on the show, certainly, because they didn't put him in there with guys to fill that role. What role did he fill? The company did not do exceptionally well. In fact, business plummeted. We don't even need to, to, to state the, the statistics on that. It's common knowledge. Going from 92 to 93 to 94 to 95 to 96 is a downward slope, as we've talked about before. In 1997, as we transition out of the Mankind years, the Undertaker headlines the worst buy rate for a WrestleMania of all time, WrestleMania 13 against Sid. And this is one of those things that guys like Kevin Nash, guys like CM Punk, low numbers have been used to emphasize poorly done events and, and guys not being special. If The Undertaker's appeal is not as a mega draw, it's as this mythological character that does not get to be measured by all the other metrics that typical wrestlers do, then why is it that when WrestleMania 13 does 237,000 buys and that's it, that The Undertaker isn't held as responsible as anybody else would be? It's a ridiculous premise. The idea of The Undertaker, that the rules don't apply to him because he's this special creation, why is he a special creation? At this point, I, I fail to see how he gets to be uh, exempt from the, the, the typical rules. And, and I would just add in, in a similar vein, on almost sort of a flip side, if you like, to that. If The Undertaker is as special or as important as the company likes to project he is, well then surely he would be strong enough to have overcome some of the negativity surrounding the company and help boost numbers in a meaningful way, which during this period he clearly fails to do. Um, I must argue a little that we're basically, I want to pause there because we're in that first five years, yeah? We've yeah. pretty much just gone five, five, five so six, seven. That seems fair to, to start a, a little conversation on that. The point is, we're, we're going up seven years to WrestleMania 13. Now, for the majority of that, he's not the guy on top, obviously. We, we agree on that. You know, business is plummeting. I don't think necessarily it's fair to talk about The Undertaker's mythological status and how he isn't responsible for this, that and the other during a lot of this period because I don't believe he had actually attained that status yet. You can do it in retrospect, but it doesn't really work. If you see my meaning. They're, they're calling the Phenom during this he, entire he's, period. He's called the Phenom effectively from 1991 onwards. But the that's marketing. The, the of the WWE. And that's one thing I want to stress right now. We are not trying to accuse the WWE of, of, of doing a, something wrong by marketing one yeah, of their characters yeah. to the hilt. That's absolutely what absolutely. they should do. The debate is, is it misrepresentation? And the point is, when they are saying now, in retrospect, I mean, again, these are the years of The Undertaker. Mm -hmm. the, 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 yeah, this first decade of destruction is the launching pad for the legend that he ends up becoming. But mm -hmm. in this period of time, as we're looking at here with the WrestleMania 13 bio, isolated as that is, 
He's not effective in his role. He wasn't effective in his role from 92 to 96 as this baby face that, that couldn't draw that well on house shows. Whether it be because of the opponents or not, it's part and parcel of the Undertaker gimmick that he was handed. Well, here's the thing, though. You see, when we look back on the larger picture, which this is always going to come back to the larger picture, obviously, when we're talking about success and impact. When you see a video package of The Undertaker at WrestleMania, as you do every year, that first seven years goes by in the first 2.4 seconds. It's gone. It's out of the way with. That's not really the part they're representing at all. Now, it could be argued potentially they're glossing over that, but that's not really misrepresentation. That's a mission. That's different. But a lot of the perception of what The Undertaker is now is based on fans' formative years as wrestling fans, where, again, this is the period we're talking about. As we said, I became a fan during this period of time, mm-hmm. in 1993, 994, when I really started getting heavily into wrestling. And, and this, this is the period a lot of our listeners will become fans during. This is what, and, and their perception of The Undertaker as always being a top guy from this point in time mm-hmm. is what kind of shapes their, their, mind frame, their mindsets now. As we'll talk about later, statistics in the later years don't favour Undertaker either. But again, people overlook it because of the, the heart that we talked about before. People are always going to draw back to the fact that Taker's been the character that they've seen themselves for years. Absolutely. And I think that clouds their judgement. In fact, you, uh, you yourself just say, I mean, people grew up with him as a staple. Yeah. Even in those uh, first seven years where, uh, as you say, the majority of it was not good quality feuds and wrestling. Even though he was in shitty feuds, with really shitty people for the most part you still really remember that and now some of that will be linked to the age that you are but when it comes to stature I argue that stature is more based on heart than is brain anyway Winston Churchill when you actually really read a biography of that guy he wasn't the nicest human being he had some very horrific views by nowadays standards your heart tells you that his stature and no one's going to walk around saying you know that Winston Churchill fucking misrepresented by history fuck that guy because stature and the representation thereof is more based on what you feel than what statistics apply to. And I believe that they will try to run statistics, and that's fine, because every one of our court cases should be based around facts and statistics in their own way. But when it comes to stature, by all means, success, impact, statistically based. I can agree with that for the most part. But when it comes to the representation of stature, the representation of stature, a lot of that is coming from the hearts of the fans who grew up during that period. And if he can attract the amount of fans he did, myself, Liam, I'm sure everyone around this table, Undertaker, during that period, you forget the shit he was fighting because he was that good. Because his stature was that good. Not in quality of work, but we've already said this is not about work quality. You said that in Not, your not entirely, but it is a part okay, of the Okay, but that wasn't important to me as a child. It wasn't important no, to you as a child. Not. Okay? But having said that, though... Yes. I will, I mean, and I've said this before on the podcast, this is not mm. me making this up on the fly, that I was not a big Undertaker fan as a kid. Okay. And it was largely because I associated him mm-hmm. with an unrealistic mm. element of wrestling that I just did not like. You know, he, mm. he was gifted this awesome character, the no-selling guy that pretty much always wins, the zombie, dead man, awesome stuff. The, the, the fucking casket thing at the Royal Rumble 94 was business exposing. I watched it with family and they laughed and I felt fuck. I just cringe. Yeah. And I know that I wasn't the only one because, again, we mentioned before, Taker's drawing power dipped substantially after that because it was such an impactful thing and done poorly and, and did a lot of damage. I, I just want to segue quickly because after we talked about, you know, um, 97, the WrestleMania in 97, moving on from that, he's the WWF champion during a period of time when they're getting their asses kicked by WCW in the war. During a period of time where Vince McMahon has to take out several multi-million dollar loans to keep the company afloat because they're operating out of the red and they need not to because the USA Network doesn't want them to. Now I'm not saying that the Undertaker during this period, 96-97, he had good matches with Mankind, he had 
fucking classic for Shawn Michaels. Yeah, no, you're right. That says a lot about the Undertaker's working ability. But okay. doesn't it just? I think it does, and he has very good matches with Bret Hart too. It says a lot about the Undertaker's ability because it demonstrates here that he works at the level of the guys in the ring with. Now, when people say again, we're talking misrepresentation of stature, stature. The Undertaker was voted the greatest WWE wrestler ever in a 2013 digital spy poll. IGN described the Undertaker as the second greatest wrestler ever. Sports Illustrated listed the Undertaker as the fifth greatest wrestler of all time. Why? On what? On what? On what? On what basis can anyone make those kind of claims? It's this is it's, it's a marketing thing from WWE done very well. But to me, that's misrepresentation of stature. He is not that good. He I was never that, that good. You're entire argument there keeps swinging around the notion that there is a single metric and measure of quality of um, importance in pro wrestling history and particularly in this company now if the charge we were talking about today was misrepresentation in Liam O'Rourke's living room I think that we'd be finding guilty I think that the feedback that we've got which I'm sure the judge will budge and uh, bring in such shortly the case is absolutely built on as much smoke and mirrors as, as Undertaker's gimmick you know like it, it, it really does um, in, that, in that case then uh, don't interrupt but I'm going to throw this right back to you with this okay. question when you said there's not an individual metric that you can judge him by yep. what metric is he a success by during this period uh, the, the met, for me the metric that we are talking about which is the stature and the importance in the hearts of fans what other guy in history can have had so many bad matches with those schlubs Please. good matches I thought was a fascinating point Liam because I think there was a short period earlier where you really hung your hat on, on the, the awfulness that was Wrestlemania 13 and Taker's uh, seemingly single handed responsibleness for the buy rate that that was I vaguely remember being on a podcast that I wasn't part of where we listed the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. And I think, can you just remind me what one of yours was from WrestleMania? Number 13? one, Austin and Brett. Austin and Brett. Now, God, those guys really should have dragged that buy rate up with that five star match. Then? Man, it wasn't the main she? event. It, it, was a th- hey, it was a great match on the night, but it wasn't promoted as the feature attraction. It was thrown together at the last minute because Shawn Michaels bailed. Taker and Sid was the main event, and it was given the, po- the, the top promotion. Bottom line. Taker and Sid is the last image before WrestleMania 13. It's what closes the Raw before the big, the big show. It's a standoff between those two. I watched wrestling when I was a kid during that period to watch The Undertaker. I was a fan because of The Undertaker. At the end of the day, he literally would have drawn my buys if I could have bought a pay-per-view. Of course. But I couldn't. I'm British <laughs> and therefore we couldn't buy pay-per-views during that era. But I don't think I'm alone there. I yeah, think that not. it is safe to say that people did... You know, it, maybe not en masse. It, it didn't take him being in the main event for me to believe he was a big deal. And he beat everybody. Yeah, he did, <laughs> didn't he? And when it comes to success and impact, you got this guy who is beating everybody. It draws people in. I mean, it's, you know, it's Goldberg. It's everybody, yeah? And unless... And you can be driven away, though. Austin beat everybody, but I never enjoyed Austin. And I know Carl's going to lash out. Somebody's going to hurt It's okay. Me. Hang on. But, but before you yes, say no, that... No, please and, and, and yeah. this, it's on the same topic, and I think it's yeah. crucial to make. The, point, the, the comparisons you drew, Goldberg, Austin... Oh, yeah. Their success in terms of smashing the world are the numbers, are the statistics. The numbers and statistics for Undertaker during the period where a lot of fans and with you know, a lot of them are our friends and listeners listening to this show right now, a lot of them were there during a period where the audience was less and less and less every year mm. and The Undertaker is a key part of it. He's not the tippy-top guy. He's not the anchor. He wasn't contributing positively to the house show numbers in a way that's, that's discernible from anybody else on the show. He's just a part of the scenery. Even mm. if to, that, to the audience that is watching, he's a big deal, the audience is, 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 is sinking. It's, it's getting smaller and smaller. And, and any other wrestler in that position would be criticised for. It wouldn't be law... It, it, it would not... 
earn you complete are you, are you therefore criticising everyone else in that kind of non-anchor mid-card position of that time as well you see what I mean you're saying anyone else in that but, position but, should but, be criticised so are you criticising the whole roster look, no but look at someone like like Kevin Nash for example okay. who is absolutely railroaded yes, by the wrestling community mm-hmm. he's lambasted for the poor buy rate and poor business he did as a focal point of the company. Because of this sort of nostalgic view of The Undertaker, people automatically will sort of dismiss any any numbers or facts that you put, or necessarily that we would put to support our case, whereas with anyone else, that's the standard to which they're held. I think that there's an element here where the the, the, uh, prosecution is, is trying to make this about comparing Undertaker to... The the top guys who proceed and be it Hogan yeah. and other guys like that. I don't com- I don't consider Taker to be a comparable to that. I think Taker's template is Andre. Mm. And Andre the Giant cool. drew ten thousand seat sellouts across the country for years and years and years. He did one of the highest network ratings in the history of of, of NBC. Andre was put in the position to do that. You you, c- you can't use Andre the Giant as the comparison, and then on the other hand say, but Andre was put in that position and Taker well, wasn't. But I think you know Liam has just made a point there. You know, let's not forget that Taker drew his share of of, of high ratings as well. Um, you know, the uh, some of the angles that people absolutely blast as history goes on, things like the. Black Wedding with Stephanie. Let's not forget that that actually drew a pretty high rating. I mean, uh, Liam, have you got the number to hand? 6.8 6. 6. And I want everyone you know. who watched at the time to feel ashamed. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, where to, Liam? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, where to? Let's look about 98, we, we stopped at 97. We said, okay, he, he wasn't effective as the top guy WF champion. WCW's killing him. Been having to take out loans because they're not drawing enough people. He, did, he does some good work with Sean and Brett at the time. The Kane feud starts. 1998, for me, I personally find Taker's 98 to be quite awful, but that's because I'm not a big fan of the Taker Kane stuff. I can't objectively say that it worked, because the Taker Kane thing did work, largely. Uh, there were some fucking stinkery pay-per-view matches, mm. but whatever. Yeah, the Hell in a Cell, yeah. Yeah, the Hell in a Cell match with Foley that everybody remembers to this day. After this, to close out the decade, we get the Ministry of Darkness, another fucking bunch of embarrassing-ass television. And again, I'm not trying to say that during this entire period, Taker didn't have any positive numbers or statistics to his to his merits. I'm just saying the bad vastly outweighs the good in this first decade. Slashing your wrists and feeding Midian. You, you, Mabel being hold on, on hold television more. Mr. Holt, you are a, a young and vibrant man. Um, I'm, right, assuming, uh, I'm assuming you were in school during that Ministry of Darkness period. Yeah, I was born in 83, so 99 is actually when I got back into pro wrestling again. I don't know. I know that um, Lee McCall would agree that the Ministry of Darkness went over fucking huge at our school because there were a lot of people bought into that because that was a thing at the time. Um, I, I think Taker closes out the decade fairly strong. In, in terms of not necessarily, again, his work actually I think is, is, is fucking awful in 1999. <laughs> I think he's absolutely absolutely dreadful I think he had so many fucking stinkers on pay-per-view but I would never say that he wasn't effective because in a top role I think he was for this brief period of time but again this this two years of truly being effective the holdover fans from that that for you know, the first half of the 90s gets kind of washed away and clouded by the fact that he was so effective for, he was effective for two years and wasn't for seven. By the time they started doing the decade of destruction stuff, I think people had already started to kind of cast their minds that he was special. This special legend. I think it's important to say, though, that WWE, obviously, at the end of that decade, is in a major point of transition. Uh, and The Undertaker actually manages to capitalise on that, which very few people... I'm struggling to think of people from that early era who, who capitalised in the same way Undertaker did. You know, but Nobody really made that transition. Because they're all gone. He's now in a period, period of veterancy because, as you say, everyone else is gone. 
Okay, and this is really the first time they start to think, have him look like an old man, as it were, which really prematurely. But you know, in the sense of this is the um, this is the period where oh, he is the old dog at the yard. I know big dogs coming later, but up until then, it's suddenly like everyone leaves. But you're right. That is the way they frame it exactly, which is what allows him that, that allows them probably in Vince McMahon's justification mind of oh well, we can do something with him now because you know he's he's the veteran and we can we can push him up. And they do. They put him in a lot of those matches, and some of those aren't main events that we're talking about. That that are very memorable. He does very well in some positions, which I would say about the same position he's been in for a while. He's just got better feuds to work with. And while the quality of the matches, we say it's not entirely about work rate, there's a lot of matches there that work rate-wise weren't good, but that's, as far as impact on the business and stature goes, you know what I mean. It's like that Helen's... The match with Kane, for example. The first match with Kane. I, I will be the last person in this second to last person in this room to praise a game match but the, no the point stands though is that it didn't matter they could have gone out and done fuck all as long as there were a bunch of tombstones at the end because people bought into the undertaker and people bought into the undertaker in that first six years which these men would have you believe were garbage they were a run-up they were me as a child going holy shit he's still beating people holy shit he's still beating people it doesn't matter who they are they can be jobbers and he it was a build up to a character and a character who does as we're going to get to we've got we still got two more fucking sections to go on this guy we're just looking at the start of his career and he's had fucking a decade of build up and now the fans who have grown up in those 10 years are behind him and now we can support him we can put him in that main event level if we want to because people care people are invested I certainly was it's one of the wonderful things about this trial is um, that I think it fits all of our ages a bit and I, I, I think that we all do have to look back as to how we felt then because I'm not going to go back and watch The Undertaker's streak for match quality and I can't go back now and watch it for the context at the time I can't do that anymore I've grown up we've moved on so you just have to think back to how you felt as a kid Undertaker was built up and built up and built up. Not at the top of the card. Not Goldberg style. They weren't pointing out there was a streak going on. They weren't pointing that out. It was just that he was a phenomenon. He was something that was growing over the space of a decade. And by the end of that decade, that all that investment starts to properly pay off. The whole, the whole idea of that this is, it, it's all built up during this period. It's part of this misrepresentation of stature and fraud. There is no one. there's maybe one or two people in the history of the WWF WWE that has been protected for so long and given so many chances to succeed despite his failures where tons and tons and tons of other people would have been written off thrown in the bin after failure number one and so does and, that and, not speak to his stature? This is the point, though. He is not responsible for the upswing in eighty nine and, and sorry in ninety eight and ninety nine. Austin is. What, what, why are his failures not held against him the way they are? I just don't because understand. I, that. I think we are working on totally different um, well metrics. I mean, you know, in, in a very sense. Because that's what I said at the start. I think, I think that's the entire I, point. I think, I think well, you're but, but, right. But, but, but no, I, I just want to say quickly. Yes. Part of the issue I have is this representation you have given Luke su- suggests yeah. that somehow he's he's always sort of almost middle of the card. Whilst we have acknowledged he's not always the top guy, you're almost no, suggesting just, a lack of prominence at times. No, I would say. And, uh, dare I say? Outside of the rumble itself, which was always a selling point, him and Yoko in the casket match is the main focal point of that pay-per-view. SummerSlam 94, his return is what closes the show and what is given the build-up throughout the summer, Hmm. lest we forget. Then when you get to the Survivor Series itself of that year, what closes the show? 
Taker and Yoko in a rematch of the Kowski match. You're not so really it's, suggesting it's not the whole. I mean, the business so as a whole is downturning at this point. I mean, you, you yes, can't, yes, Taker wasn't but, making the difference in the positive. But, but, that's always no, oh, no, he's, okay, he's so, not making a positive contribution, and you are in many respects yeah. underselling prominence of his role. I think you're just oversimplifying it. But I think I think it's, it's a normal thing that we're both doing, though. Is is that I well, think you're, you're the one that's talked about this nine years of a build. Well, I think that's what happened. I don't think that was a plan. You also implied <laughs> a decade of being there. Through periods of turbulence, of people being fired, people being uh, lured away, is something to scoff at. And, which and I don't fans think losing it is. faith in people, and fans yeah. never lost faith in the Undertaker, no. except, except for those that stopped watching. Well, but yeah, but they were stopping watching WWE in general. All right, thank you, gentlemen. Um, fascinating so far. I got to just uh, just point out that I'm liking the back and forth. Okay, so we're going to go to uh, a bit of uh, witness testimony, shall we say, uh, from the listeners. Just some, uh, just some nice little pieces here. So, from Mungo Chutney, that's a point right there, UK fan forum, uh, should have been thrown out of court before coming to trial. Absolutely no case to answer. Possibly the most iconic wrestler of all time, not called Hulk Hogan. Even the bad matches with Gonzalez has a fascination to them, what? but most of the modern roster will never achieve. What? He's also built up a legacy of top drawer matches that will stand up for years and years. Uh, Louch from UK Fan Forum, I can't believe this would make court either. That he wasn't the guy is perfect for his role. He's not your make-a-wish chat shows be a star frontman. His character is the perfect representation of less is more. Some guys should be out front. Other guys should be your strong backup guys that you know you can stick in with anyone and will produce. Undertaker is not guilty of being built up more than he is. He is the glue that binds 25 years of WWE and made Mania a spectacle with the streak that helped add to Mania's mystique as I can't miss as was only time you seen him uh, for a few years. I have to object for that a little bit. Yep. I have to object to that. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to make this a big long speech, but I, I think one of the things that's a little bit overstated there in terms of it's all within the opinion, so there's nothing wrong there, but this is very much the WWE perspective of, of how they push him on people, and that's fine if, if you actually agree. Um, but the idea that he's the one that made Mania a, stri- a spectacle with a streak is just completely preposterous. I can't have that. Like that, That's got to be... Th- talk about things that you've thrown out of court. Trial. We'll say the second part of that sentence, though, which is... Um, the streak helped to add to Mania's mystique. That's, that's I fine. think that's fair. That's no, I, I agree. It, it's a point about overreaching with a sentence. I believe that, though, that is at least there is definitely a fair point in there. To me, there, there's an, a kernel of truth in that. In that most lapsed fans I know, which certainly around this table, I fall into the category more than the rest of you guys, I think. Generally, the first question that they ask when WrestleMania is rolling around is, oh, who's to got Taker this year? And we'll come on to that in the, uh, the yeah, section. Yeah, I think they're going to... Wrestling uh, from UK fan form. Shit hair. That's the closest I can get to to a criticism. The guy has had some turgid shit to work with. <laughs> Undertaker versus Undertaker. We concede the hair. Gonzalez, Carly, Sid. But has always made the most of it. Even on paper, the gimmick shouldn't work. He started off as a zombie, an actual zombie. But that gimmick in any other hands, and it would have been a complete and utter failure. He even survived those trousers he wore against Kurt Angle. (laughs) That's a point right there. I can't think of another performer who has evolved their style as much as he has. From slow-moving zombie to athletic big man, to purest striker, to grizzled-out shoot fighter, he has found a way to work with all the top guys and have some shit guys too. Matches with HBK, matches with Triple H, the angles with Kane and Austin, Edge, Batista, Angle. He even laid on his back when he was asked. Uh. Car- I'll, I'll finish what he says. Carly pinned him one foot. Vladimir Kozlov beats him clean. Everyone looks up to him. Kaz Hayashi from UK Fan Form. 
I'm struggling here. It's difficult to come up with anything that was truly shit due to it being his fault. As anyone has stated, he didn't choose to be pitted against the second coming and second failure of Kamala, <laughs> even when he still had two left feet. I doubt... <laughs> Oh, oh awesome. brilliant. <laughs> I doubt he creamed his Sunday best as the thought of moving slowly against giant hairy bollocks. He basically took on the Hogan script of him versus very tall or very fat man. He managed to overcome all of that and live a long and fruitful career. Not only were the bookers testing his patience, the fucking ring ropes were trying to have his life against Hogan at either Survivor <laughs> Series or Tuesday in Texas. Taker single-handedly made the ministry seem formidable. I mean, look at the ministry as a whole. Fucking Mabel. Midian. Jesus. It's like the Dungeon of Doom meets Thunder NWOD team. This post doesn't even take into consideration the brilliant matches and angles he has done. Even though it focuses on the shite he was unluckily shadowed by the sh uh, shower of shite I've just mentioned and managed to come out of it smelling like a non-potent fart at the very worst. Should highlight why he is regarded as, as highly as he is. To be honest, out of the megastars in WWE from 97 to 03, he's the only one who didn't completely throw his toys out of the pram or act like a major bellend. I can forgive him. Yeah, uh, I can forgive him for no selling a crotch shot from Chuck. And while uh, Austin and Rocker feuding with the NWO, Taker pretending to care about DDP stalking his ex lass. The worst thing he's ever done in his entire career was clearly tattooing a girl's name on his throat. Fucking idiot. <laughs> kind of level some up. Just a few quick ones for the prosecution. Uh, Stickman from TPWW Forms. I think he may be a little overrated. I'm not sure how many butts he put into seats. I think he had a great supporting cast, but he was never the guy. Uh, anybody Thriller from TPWW uh, The Undertaker's Wrestlemania streak was pretty laughable up until the point where they started making a deal out of it He was in some of the shittiest and corniest Wrestlemania matches of all time I will note that we're not arguing that point We're not arguing that it was great before they made a deal of it mm -hmm. what, they, they, they used it well, well Obviously we'll come to this but they used it well once they realised what they had From Neil Robinson from on Facebook, uh, over the whole course of his career, I'd say the good outweighs the bad, so not guilty. However, whilst a whole lot of criticism is thrown uh, the way of the clique for only working with each uh, other between 94 and 95, Taker primarily worked with members of his own clique, the BSK, Yoko in 94, Karma through all of 95, and hell, his whole team at Survivor Series 95 was the BSK. And then there, there is single-handedly destroying the invasion angle and his refusal to do, uh, well, anything to put over anyone from WCW. With the street gone, he's pretty much useless. So if he is found guilty, I put the case forward for leniency. Uh, so I think uh, with that bit leaning towards, uh, obviously, the second period, I think uh, we should uh, move on, lads, shall we, to the second stage? Agreed. Uh, so we we'll move over to the prosecution again for the second tier, which is the Biker Deadman Part 2. Uh, so we're going to go over to Carl Jones as the prosecution. We touched very briefly earlier on one of the monikers the company has given The Undertaker during his run, that being the Phenom. Some of the others that he's also been given is the Conscience and the Cornerstone. Well, I would think during this period of his career, his conscience must be guilty, and the Cornerstone is very weak at the foundation. Something else that's always, always been referred to as well is that of the locker room leader. I'd question the example by which he leads, in particular during this period. Throughout the sort of biker dead man part deux period, <laughs> one of the emails touched on, on there about the burial of talent, the invasion being a prime example of this. The company is on a downturn coming out of WrestleMania 17. Now, I'm not going to say that that is The Undertaker's fault, but. How does he help the situation? Before you actually go into this, just to add the contributing point that 
after WrestleMania 17, Undertaker was positioned for the first time in quite a long time as the top babyface when numbers started to tank. Indeed he was, the Brothers of Destruction and the two-man power trip. Mm-hmm. But as we go into the invasion, there's a little bit of buzz around the company. There's, there's, a, there's a bit of an, an uplift, if you like. Fans get this idea of all WWF versus WCW. And what's Taker's contribution during this? To absolutely shit on Diamond Dallas Page. We can all argue the merits of the stalker angle as such. But the fact remains, DDP was one of the remaining recognisable faces of the WCW brand and someone who, for all the WF sort of mockery of the company, could add some credence to the feud. In the period of about five minutes, Taker just completely beats his ass around the ring and makes it seem as if he's a non-issue. He goes further with DDP when we get to the what I'll call the cage match of doom at SummerSlam 2001. He absolutely hammers him from pillar to post, makes him look pathetic and makes him look weak. And what's one of his key reasons for doing this? This petulance of the man. He doesn't like the pom pilot. <laughs> you know, if you're a locker room leader, you're above that sort of thing. It's water off a duck's back. You're supposed to be bigger than such petty, trivial natures. How else does he treat other time that come in during this period? He buries them to the office for not shaking hands. But, I, well, just because you mentioned DDP, let's stick on the DDP thing, okay? If Undertaker is the conscience of the WWE, um, and, and that's all that side of thing, and you've got a guy who is linked to the previous company, linked to the other company, who, who WWE are heavily against, and then you're doing this stalker angle, which is pretty horrific if you really think about it. Thankfully, they didn't dwell on it quite as much as I think they uh, they started to. It looked like, really, they were just bailing on the angle more than anything else. It was like, right, let's just get this over with. It's not working. You're suggesting they couldn't run on it yeah. when it ran from June mm-hmm. through to the end of August. Their heart was no longer in that angle at that point. It was, and certainly nobody, it, it wasn't just Undertaker in the WWE who had no faith in DDP. I think that's fucking fair to say. So can you really blame Undertaker? Uh, you... I think the fact that they actually put him in there with Undertaker at first indicates that they actually did want to do have him at a high level. Because, I mean, they, they for the invasion angle, they were starved. All they had was Booker and DDP, and they put him in there with... Taker at that point, again, as we say, he was, he was after WrestleMania, he was positioned as the top babyface. Yeah. As one of the main babyfaces of the company, they brought in DDP to feud with him. That is, they, they clearly wanted to have him in a, a feature role. I don't know. I mean, everything I've heard about that era is just DDP is, is not... They brought him in to do this. They brought DDP in because he was the guy who said yes. They had no real faith in him doing anything at all. The uh, Another one of the emails, there may have been the same one, I, I forget the name, so you'll have to forgive me, reference things such as the no-selling for Pullenbo and Head, just more more sort of petty acts, if you like. Taker goes to Vince says, Mike Awesome doesn't know how to work. Now, you can debate sort of the, the level of contribution that Mike Awesome, Pullenbo and Head could have made at the time, but they weren't even given the chance. They had their nuts cut off by backstage politicking from the likes of The Undertaker. Wait, it wasn't even the likes of, it was The Undertaker. And again, we weren't there to witness it, but this is documented in the F4W newsletters of 2001. And we actually talked about this in no, the, no, uh, no. The, the Invasion Breakdown show we did in uh, episode 17. I, I don't believe we're going to argue against those um, happenings. The, the wider treatment of talent, not with the WCW stigma, if, if you want to attach it, or not the DDP stigma. Take Kurt Angle, for example. In, in 2000, uh, fully loaded... Taker has to beat him. Kurt Angle's on the rise. Not necessarily the right business with, but Taker has to win. Survivor Series 2000, Taker has to be protected and we have to have the Eric Angle running. That was a no, pretty these, 
cool little thing. No, it wasn't. Really? <laughs> no, it really. I wasn't. think that was pretty over. But let's get to Brock Lesnar. You get to September of 2006, by which point Lesnar's a fucking star. Within the context of this company, he's a star. He's the man. He's at that point the youngest champion. Bigger stars than The Undertaker have put Brock Lesnar over. The Rock at SummerSlam. Hulk Hogan on SmackDown loses clean to a bear hug. We get to Unforgiven 2002. What happens? On the day of the show. On the day of the show, Mean Mark refuses to do the job, which is why we get the nonsense finish of Lesnar thrown through the Unforgiven sign. I mean, what, what can you say about <laughs> except about the actions of this man? And before, because I know the defence are probably going to want to try and tie in the hell in the cell. Taker's given the out of a broken hand. He's given time off. Yeah, you know, this distance from Vince that we need you to lose. Yes, and and the, the eventual demand from Vince. And I, I, I'm going to. This is a bit of sort of overlap back to the early nineties, if you like. But I, I want to sort of hammer this point out about this locker room leader during a tumultuous time during the company which I think we can all agree on during during 96 and 97 when Brett and Sean are going at each other's throats where, where is this locker room leader at this time Liam do you, do you know where he was, he was what, a, what was champion. he doing he's a champion and not really getting involved oh lead him by example you know General Eisenhower General Patton this is not <laughs> this is a man who while sort of being lauded above all else is just as petty and pedantic a backstage politicker as anybody else on that roster would have been and yet we moan about the antics of a Nash or a Michaels or even Bret Hart but Taker does he get buried by anyone in the company do they touch upon these things in his story we he's moan just about those people he's we just, don't let it affect their opinion of their stature is my argument. Hmm. Ooh, I, you know, I, would, I would argue the company have on more than one occasion when it comes to other individuals. Yeah, and I think that the fans are a lot less willing to give the free pass to other people than they do to Taker. Okay. Subjective uh, as that is, I acknowledge. Are you honestly going to say there was ever a time, even one incident, where Taker was as bad as Sean was at his worst? Did Sean that. also did really horrible, kind of dickish thing. Undertaker never really comes off as a dick backstage. So that's the invasion angle. I don't DDP Sean O'Hare yeah. Mike Awesome Chronic Fire because they had a bad <laughs> match with Taker Booker T gets beaten at no mercy Compl mm -hmm. oh Undertaker on Smackdown kicks out on 3 when Booker T pins him to try and get heat on their match at no mercy because he doesn't want to actually fucking look bad mm -hmm. that Booker T's beating him he refuses to lose the X-Pac and Albert in a handicap match on an episode of Smackdown in 2001 Do you and blame him? it to a DQ <laughs> I'm not blaming him but again if we're talking about a politician that's a politician right there or it's a smart guy when it comes to ready a job to X-Pac and Albert exactly and I'm and hey it's all about protection of the character and that's the yeah. whole point of trying to sustain his stature but the point is if, if you're going to play the locker room leader card you have to play at both sides I guess so but you've also discussed people like Bret Hart as a locker room leader who more than once refused to job but people call him out on it yeah people call Bret a crybaby and a whiner and oh you can't let Montreal the go and the company buried him for years mm -hmm. The company, even you know, they criticised Sean Michaels. Yeah. Steve Austin took his ball and went, went home. home. The Rock, through passive-aggressive nature, through John Cena, went to Hollywood. We really have do to we disavow. Get, we get, the more they say, do the we fans... get the self-destruction of the Undertaker? No, we don't. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't about the internet fans misrepresenting his structure on a forum. That's not what no, this is about. No, but, but, uh, no, but, no, but we're clearly making the point what? that the company gloss over all his negatives to maintain but they do this that image. For every 
body. What? No, that, we've just given examples what? where no. they okay. don't. The WWE makes negative comments on people who have fucked them over at some point. Undertaker, as far as actually fucking over Vince and pissing him off, well, he's smart enough to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, so, there, as, as a recent example, his refusal to go on the European tour. On a European tour, on which he's already been booked, he's yeah, already nice. advertised, okay. he just tells Vince after WrestleMania he's not going. If that's not taking you born going home, I don't know what is. I don't understand how this is fully relevant to the charge. Okay. Would you expect the company to take one of the big stars and represent him poorly? Of course you wouldn't. They, they do. They didn't have them. people. But that's poor choice on their part. They are not standing there. They are not a news organisation that has to report the truth. They are trying to do the best for business. It just happens that Vince is a fucking petty piece of shit. Yes, however, don't you think there's an argument that, again, the rules aren't applying to The Undertaker, and there's really no discernible reason as to why? Okay, because it's not just The Undertaker they gloss over, right? You do realise they gloss over... I mean, look at what's happening with Brock right now. Yeah. They are glossing over that like fucking crazy. That oh, shit doesn't apply to Brock, because he's special. They're doing all that shit with Brock right now. Is the internet going nerd about that? Who gives a fuck about the internet? This charge isn't about the internet. Austin's history of domestic violence, these things, you know... The fucking Austin taking his ball and going home. The WWE isn't sitting around talking about Austin on his DVD. He's bought taking his ball and going home. It's covered on his Blu-ray release of... One of the most popular superstars of all time. Let's, they cover it and let, Steve. Okay. Let's not forget. Yeah, but let, let's the week, that the implies week. Carl that there's not then the chapter that follows, but then when but then we all made up and everyone was friends. <laughs> okay, yeah. right. But the point is, when it happened, when Austin left yeah. on WWE Confidential that weekend, they ran that absolute yeah, smear campaign. Taker didn't leave. Like if Taker had done the same, he'd have got the same. He did the same with the European tour. Compared to what Austin did, there is no comparison. You, you, if, if, if you want to suggest they're not necessarily on the same scale, I'll, I'll hear that yeah. to a point. Cool. But they didn't even address it. The reaction isn't comparable either, is the point, right? Okay. Well, Carl mentioned a few examples there of, of, of chicanery within matches and, and kind of impeding guys. John Cena was a victim of the same thing. Uh, you got John Cena on the rise as a heel in Avengers 2003. The Undertaker has him beaten in the first two minutes, pulls him up off the, uh, off the mat at the count of two, kicks out of his finisher, and then pins him clean. Thank you, John Cena. Now, all would end up being okay in the world of John Cena, I'm sure we can agree. But again, another instance of a situation like with Angle, he had the opportunity to make somebody look good and he chose the opposite result because he each opted to make himself look good. The, the, the stuff with the invasion that Carl talked about here is, is reactionary from Taker as far as I'm concerned because of the fact that when Taker was put on top as the top babyface after WrestleMania 17, he bombed. Live attendance, and we talked about this on the Invasion show as well, $150,000 less every house show they were making after WrestleMania 17 from before with Taker as the top babyface. It didn't work. As a result, when they started the invasion, he went to super hyper-protective mode because he thought that he was vulnerable and he started killing off fucking everybody that he could to ensure his own spot was safe. A lot of that hangs on, heaven forbid, whoever followed Steve Austin and The Rock drew less. <laughs> which, That's really, bad. in all fairness, was likely to be the case regardless of who. Perhaps so. Probably so. Who knows? If, if, if they'd have put Triple H as a baby face instead, which is the logical thing to do, who knows what would have happened because it didn't happen. So just, all we can go yeah. by is the fact that The Undertaker was put in that position and things did go south. It's an understandable position to be in. He's put his position as champion again in 2002 and, it, and again, it doesn't do very well. You know, him, him and Hogan does bad on pay-per-view. Him and Triple H <laughs> bullshit. bores me to tears on pay-per-view. But he had some good matches that 2002, so in terms of effectiveness, I'll, I'll throw that in his way. 2003, rocky year, he's, he's wrestling Big Show, A-Train, Vince, you know, this is all this is all pretty dull stuff. Which leads to the return of the Deadman character. Mm -hmm. This point, WrestleMania 20, and we all loved it when Paul Bearer went, Oh, oh yes! yes! 
<laughs> and it's cool but as soon as that bell rings it's the same fucking awful match with Kane that we've seen before from this period as soon as he comes back and this is the legacy of the dead man character Tio he had nine years as the dead man a few years away coming back all the momentum of what this guy means and what does it mean a shit feud with Booker T that doesn't get over a shit feud with the Dudleys that doesn't get over a feud with JBL where the crowd too busy chatting for the fucking maple leafs at SummerSlam (laughs) rather than being interested in the match because the match can't get over it means The Undertaker is the dead man headlining No Mercy 2004 and doing 183,000 buys the lowest buy for a Sunday pay-per-view of the 2000s that wouldn't be broken until December to December in 2006 and this is this is the, all this built up equity that you were talking about before he's back as the dead man and it mean, it doesn't mean shit Judgment Day 2004 and Great American Bash Eddie Guerrero and JBL headline shows yeah. did significantly better than Taker and JBL at No Mercy hmm. significantly better the Heidenreich feud sucks Randy Orton freshens him up for the feud at Mania but then that continues and by the time SummerSlam comes and Armageddon comes that feels like it's fucking lost and we get that wonderful stuff on Smackdown where cowboy Bob Orton's bleeding and, and, he's, and Undertaker's in the mirror and only Randy Orton can see him which was lampooned when Warrior and Hogan did it in WCW and again that, it, it does, this doesn't go down in the all time Russell crap fucking stinkeroo stakes and it should and at a time where an individual needs some help in Orton who goes who over who goes over Taker 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 because you keep saying well it didn't kill them they weren't dead as if that makes it okay it's your choice of language that I'm disputing not the events it's not, I don't really think that's even being pedantic I think that killing is far too strong a term to Let, use here. let's move on Mark Henry feud Great Carly feud yeah Mr. Kennedy feud again. Again, what what was, does the Undertaker mean in these feuds? Not really all that much. These aren't that good. Don't do much for anybody. The Batista series is pretty good. I'll give him that. Uh, the feud with Edge is disappointing personally, but I know some people like that. So, well, I, th- I think I'll consider that a strength. Just for, uh, if we're going on general populist opinion, he then pretty much crushes CM Punk when he was red hot as a heel after the uh, the Jeff Hardy feud because Undertaker and CM Punk get into an argument on a tour about CM Punk not adhering to the dress code. And Undertaker who also doesn't adhere Locker to the dress code. Locker room leader's got to check your dress code. Locker room leader. Oh, it's very important that you do oh, this. Oh, yeah. Undertaker can't wear a, a suit, for God's sake. Should CM Punk? That was the argument they were having. Oh, I, I kind of see what you mean. Um, I mean, p- people who have gimmicks to protect. The Undertaker is a gimmick. Well, Never C- forget. CM C- C- Punk in a suit doesn't fly in the face of his general gimmick? Oh, didn't he debut in a suit hanging off the side of a car with a Tommy gun? <laughs> Why <laughs> in the face of that? We rest our case. All right, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's a slam dunk. I'll give you that. That's a slam dunk. We're talking about exceptions, though. This is this is another one. Survivor Series 2005. I'm sure I'm sure many people have no idea what I'm referring to right now. But this was a very well-known incident at the time that pretty much damaged Matt Hardy for a substantial period of time. When Taker comes back in the burning casket and he lays waste, as he has done countless times, to the entire mid-card in order to get over his match with Randy Orton that's coming up. On the, in the cafeteria the next day, the Undertaker's watching the video and he sees Matt Hardy roll out the ring while he's laying waste to all the jobbers and he calls him on the carpet and he buries him and uses the phrase, apparently, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, what makes you different from everybody else? In the sense of, why are you good enough to not get an ass-kicking from me to get me over? Okay, in that period, what what was different about Matt Hardy that meant he shouldn't have an ass-kicking? If he, if he was in the ring at the time? He was far hotter than pretty much everybody else in that ring, stemming from what one. happened. Stemming from what... This is post-version one. Okay. This is and this after he's come back from being where fired is he in the and card? red hot. He'd just beaten Edge, who's about to become world champion. There's another backstage incident okay. where he uses his power to negatively influence the future and then Matt Hardy's job into Tatanka for you know, you know, yeah. weeks later it's like it's just that there's a pattern here again you get the awful take of vegetative state feud with Kane to wrap up 2009 and 10 and, and that pretty much covers off this decade 
and pretty much the end of this argument. But again, periods of, of non-success, in some cases periods of failure, there were successes in there too, but the point we want to make is, again, this is Taker and WWE on charge here for misrepresentation of stature. If they're going to turn the other cheek for, for things that Taker does that are negative, if he's going to underperform with the numbers, many different elements and in many different ways, the rules don't seem to apply to him. Okay. And in this courtroom, we're saying that they should. Fair enough. Nobody's ever saying the Undertaker is out there putting asses on seats. That's not how they represent him. So I don't believe that anything to do with his drawing power is part of this representation. They represent him as a phenom. Well, he ended up in a lot of shitty feuds, as Liam just stated. Quite right. But still, when WrestleMania comes round, people get excited. Even though all that shit he did in the American Badass era, I bought Mania to see Taker come back. Okay? Even after all that shit that he's been through these last few years. So that's how they represented him. That's what he was. No one ever is sitting back in this DVD set saying, and he came back and he put asses in seats and, and he, um, and he really brought WWE back from the brink. It's just not how they're representing him. I mean, absolutely, it's something you could have asked of him. But once again, that's, that's not the charge on hand as far as that goes. Fundamentally comes back to me through this period to the charge itself. I don't wholeheartedly disagree with a lot of the points that the, the, the guys are raising on the opposite side of said oaken table. Um, but I, I just don't feel that those things together combined tantamount to going against this idea of misrepresentation of stature and overstating success and impact in that the success and impact that he's had is largely theirs to decide and the fans to decide I don't think that there is a, 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 an overbearing argument especially when we get to the third you know the sort of special attraction section against that I also think one thing that's been touched on a bit here is one of the things that really winds me up a bit about Taker which is the fickleness of the he's got lightning coming out of his fingers <laughs> there's smoke in the room yeah, uh. and then is... everyone goes why can't he be more realistic and then they go he's on a motorbike and, <laughs> he's, I he's didn't, yeah but that's, that's, like, that's, that's painting everybody with one with like multiple but like, I prefer the, the biker yeah. the American badass far more to the lightning bolt throwing horse so you'd shit. say that was the highlight of his career or? Oh, well, you couldn't say that but in terms of my personal preference I'd yeah. say it's my personal Personal preference, yeah. uh, but then again, you had the matches at the you know, in the end of the street that I personally He's, enjoy. So, yeah. I mean, uh, you you weren't a big Undertaker fan growing up before, though. not really. But you know, he changed and he became something you liked, even if only for a period. And that in itself is quite impressive. Not a lot of wrestlers, uh, not a lot of wrestlers can top a first impression. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I thought Randy Orton was a dick on day one. I still do. <laughs> <laughs> but this goes back to the point. I mean, this argument is not a the Undertaker's never anything good yeah. argument. Okay. It's a misrepresentation. It's just a that the simple point is there's a lot here that tends to get overlooked when people when the WWE does a DVD of the top 50 superstars of all time and Undertaker's number two. Also, the company, and let's bear in mind again that WCW are on the docket as well here, mm. that this skirting around or skating over the negative attributes or negative incidents during his career, I would argue, helps to sort of inflate or sort of overinflate this sense of stature that might not necessarily be there if they actually address those issues in the way that they do with other talent. Mm, I understand that. I, I think this is part of the crux of our, of our misunderstanding and, and, and disagreement with each other, though, is that I don't believe the WWE will ever, probably not while he's alive, so, certainly not while he's uh, currently active, release that kind of DVD for The Undertaker because we talk about Steve Austin, and Steve Austin was... You know, Steve Austin is Steve Austin. The Undertaker is 
the gimmick. You can't do a behind-the-scenes DVD set that goes into all his dirty well, laundry. I'm not asking him to. But I'm saying, but no, no, that's. I think you kind of are, though. You're saying he should live up to all this backstage stuff. The Undertaker doesn't go backstage and sit with the boys while he's a dead man. He goes and lies in a coffin. Okay, you know what I mean? <laughs> Kayfabe, <laughs> in its own way, you you can't just sit around talking about that on a DVD set for the Undertaker because. He is the last little sort of bastion of of suspension of disbelief when but it comes the, to that wacky okay, shit. But this is the thing. This yeah. is the thing. You've just yeah. touched on it right there, and it's mm. the perfect point. And I think that we'll tie this into one of the. If I can call a witness short, I'll call cool, the brain cool. follow on pro wrestling only yeah. uh, for, for his point because it ties into WWE's narrative uh-huh. of what they want to sell. And, and, and again, I, I can't. I don't begrudge them for, for trying to pimp their guy to the moon. Mm. But the, the point of misrepresentation of stature is whether or not he actually lives up to that, and the fraud is whether or not he actually lives up to the billing himself. Okay. Where Taker, I think, works in, in sort of classification like we're, we're using here is you can't really go past top five superstar or top five guy because where the argument falls apart against Taker, and I'll fully agree and admit with this, is when you start trying to measure him against other guys for other things because there's no one else like him that's true and that's where like you can't go top five wrestlers but if you go to uh, you know top five promos top- I don't even know if he'd be in that no, he wouldn't. But, but that's what makes him so but is there anyone here what- who would argue that he isn't the top gimmick of all time because I think that, generally speaking, you will not see a poll called Top Gimmick that doesn't have Undertaker at the top He's of it. Flair is also famous for one saying, I believe that it was um, gimmick sell t-shirts, characters sell tickets. So I, I think, yeah, coming back to that point, I think what makes the charge lean for the, the defence, because of the nature of the gimmick, because of the nature of the build and the history of the character, you can't judge him on the same merits as everyone else. It, you can break it down and you can go Benoit was a better worker Sean was a better worker you know and all those things but ultimately when you go okay so but what about some of the parts he still gets there but, but, so but if I can just address quickly because mm-hmm. you're saying that we can't we can't judge him in the same way that we judge other people but then say well he's perfectly deserving of that spot in the way in which those other individuals are judged. That, 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 that. Undertaker, Rock, Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, superstars. That list was about superstars? Fair enough. I mean, because people know who that is. Yeah, and I don't think that he is a, a bigger superstar than The Rock, Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair in many regards. I believe that... Um don't, don't. I'm not saying that list of fucking <laughs> anything's up at any weight in whatsoever. That, that's what I'm saying. I don't feel it's fair to say the WWE as a whole, as an entity, is representing him as the second greatest superstar of all time. You, if you start to look at that, then you start to go down a road of no, madness when it comes to no, web but development. No, but it's an accumulative effect. Thank you, gentlemen. The room is uh, increasingly getting warmer and warmer as uh, as blood pressure's rising, particularly, uh, I think, uh, on Carl's... Uh, <laughs> Cole's face some of, some of those expressions of- he's not taking his warfarin 30 <laughs> year gurning champion I'll <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to go uh, more to more back to the fan feedback first up a very important piece I feel here due to the, the writer Tiger Rick from UK Fan Forum yes. not guilty oh. <laughs> <laughs> no shooty load early Liam um not guilty. His body of work is remarkable. Sure, there is a ton of tripe in there, but I put about 95% of the blame for that at the company and the way they booked the characters' feuds and chose his opponents. He had periods, 2001 to 2002 particularly, where he was an insufferable burke, but the rest of the time, the bad was down to the company trying to match him with huge or imposing guys who couldn't work for shit. But despite that, you can look back and see a career littered with great matches and angles that befits his stature and status as a legendary character. 
and from 1996 onwards, matches that showed the guy was a tremendous worker. I think the HBK stuff is his best legacy, particularly their greatest match uh, at Bad Blood in 97, but the matches with Mankind, Brett, Kane, Austin, Rock, Edge, Batista and Lesnar are memorable and mostly great. His feuds with Kane and Austin were say mostly because he references Kane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his feuds with Kane and Austin were crucial at the time when the WWF was doing huge business and overhauling WCW. He was most important in the mid '90s, post Hogan era, when the company needed stars, and he was the one constant. He was always a star. He was always an attraction. And while they floundered around looking for answers, Taker, Brett, and HBK carried the company through some really hard times. I know there's all the backstage stuff that we've heard down the years, but I don't think any of it was particularly detrimental to business. It certainly didn't offset his great stuff. The gimmick is an interesting one. There's no doubt it's the reason he became uh, anyone in the first place, but it would go on to massively hold him back. We saw when he turned up in 2000 that it had been holding him back as a character and talker for years. He was an outstanding mic man in his biker taker years. Unfortunately, they coincided with him being a knobhead backstage. (laughs) I think he went back to the dead man too early. While he was working full-time, he should have been himself. When he became an occasional worker, it really suited him. In fact, it was inspired. A gimmick that allowed him to sit at home all year and then someone to talk about demons for a month in February and bring him back for a WrestleMania match. Genius. I agree, and I think we'll get to that shortly. Craig Atkinson on Facebook. Not guilty. Was he in some stinkers in his time? Mm, Absolutely. Was he trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear? Yes. Taker has had to face some of the biggest and worst guys he could not uh, use half his moves set against. How many shit stains did Taker face through the, fa- uh, through the years? Dozens. Far too many to mention. Did he stay over? Yes. And not just as a mid-carder, but as a main eventer from day one. In the days where the roster was thinnest, Taker was still there. Loyal to the end. The number one guy backstage and a special attraction alongside Hogan, Hart and HBK. Then he reinvented himself again and again to stay relevant. One of the few to main event in different decades and to stay relevant the whole time. And I haven't even mentioned the streak yet. That alone would make him a Hall of Famer. Good to great matches with everyone from Jake the Snake to Ric Flair to Batista to HBK to Triple H. Alongside great matches outside of WrestleMania with people like Foley and Angle and Vince. That oh, awful. I, I assume he's talking about the buried the, alive. The defense disavows the witness. Uh, <laughs> over 25 years in the main event of WWE, world titles, pay-per-view main events, uh, massive ratings and buy rates. Quite frankly, anyone who's ever suggested Taker's anything less than one of the greatest of all time, and probably WWE's greatest creation, is put simply, insane. Insanity, please. <laughs> <laughs> Big Dave Batista of, uh, Guardi- of, of Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, Spectre fame, or it could quite simply be someone from WrestlingForum.com, you decide. One of the greatest in the history of the business, he says. Gave us some truly memorable feuds and a fantastic moments along the way. Played face and heel exceptionally well. Subtle changes to his dead man character made him fresh. And his American Badass character was a very good change-up. One of the first names non-wrestling fans go to when talking about the business. Thus having a unique sort of mainstream appeal. I feel fans who have a I problem. Agree. I feel fans who have a problem with uh, his recent appearances have no respect for what he accomplishes. Andy Harrett on Facebook, not guilty. He's been a company man since 1990. Didn't join WCW when the Monday Night Wars went, was on. He has been a locker room leader and helped police uh, the younger and veteran talent to do the right thing. Mania 14 is a great example of this, when HBK was considered not jobbing to a white-hot Austin. He stuck up for the WWE when times were tough and has offered uh, to put guys over during the streak. Orton is the first name that comes to mind. What? When? Mm. 
Yeah, you're going to have to fight to debate that, I think. Sorry, I think a bit of revisionist there. I only recall him being considered guilty when he buried DDP, but that was shown the WCW crew that your names means nothing until he proved it in the WWE. Oh, oh that's awful! That is awful, I No, the defence did not Le- make that argument. Legend, <laughs> legend is the best term for him. Wang um, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I read the first part of that and thought it was acceptable. Uh, <laughs> I, I did not read that last line about DDP, uh, in which case, outside of the judging here... Sorry, Andy, we love you about that. So, sorry, Andy, but you, you're just fucking wrong. Uh, All together, objection on three. One, two, three. Objection! Objection. Um, and then just, I'm just going to read the last part of this or last one from Sphinx. Uh, from UK fan forum someone said 2002 was a shit time for him but I don't agree for memory he had the match with Flair which was decent the triple threat at Vengeance a good match against Test at SummerSlam and Lesnar No Mercy in a Hell in a Cell oh and the ladder match against Jeff Hardy on Raw I'm sure there'll be others I've forgotten they're just the ones that spring to mind Max Power from UK Fan Forum. The only thing you can do him for, in my opinion, is his run between 2000 to 2003 or so. Some of the highlights from this period include not selling for The Rock on Raw in late 2000. It's The Rock, for Christ's sake. Well, that's fucking specific. Um, Making King Kurt his bitch in the same period. He really should have put Angle over stronger at Unforgiven instead of having the twin magic bullshit. The whole DDP and invasion thing. Probably the worst thing he's ever done. Whether it's no selling bollocks shots from Palumbo and O'Hare or making Dallas look like an absolute jabroni in the cage at SummerSlam. He was a disgrace during that summer. If he'd had shown a little locker room leadership and allowed himself to be beaten on, then we could have all been looking at a completely different invasion. And that's without mentioning... A chronic gate <laughs> and also the initial Lesnar match had a bullshit ending too insisting on standing tall at the end of whichever pay-per-view had him throwing Brock through that glass that's unforgiven he eventually did the right thing but only with the out of a broken hand or wrist however these three or so years are massively outweighed by the other 20 not guilty so whilst he makes uh, loads of good points in uh, favour of the prosecution he still somehow manages to side with the defence <laughs> the condor uh, from TPWW forums you, uh, Undertaker was always restricted by the gimmick in the beginning as far as in-ring work is concerned but he was so good in part that it didn't matter I think when he was able to work with competent workers like Brett, Sean, Austin, Brock, Kurt he was able to rise to their level and that is a compliment for a guy who is six foot ten and 300 plus pounds he has transitioned from workhorse and top three face or heel into an attraction with great success he is a legend and deserves his place in WWE lore However, there is a black mark on his career, and that's his backstage politicking and lack of effort from his return in 2000 through the invasion. It is fairly well documented that he pushed his weight around a bit, and it's not hard to watch some of those shows back and see an unmotivated, sloppy and out-of-shape Undertaker. Fortunately, it was a drop in the ocean of time when you take into account his nearly 30-year career. Jerry Von Kramer from Pro Wrestling Only. We have The Undertaker using his powers to destroy the ring while Kurt Angle is in it. Royal Rumble 2006 and who can forget his unforgettable moment Undertaker ascending to the heavens at Royal Rumble 94 looking noticeably smaller than usual Mm, I wonder why that is Uh, in another incredibly memorable feud the greatest manager of all time Paul Heyman got the Dudley boys of ECW and Attitude Era fame to kidnap Paul Bearer in a remarkable turn of events custody of Bearer ensured that Heyman now had control of the master of pain At the never-to-be-forgotten Great American Bash 2004, oh Jesus, uh, the dead man had to face the Dudleys in a handicap concrete crypt match to stop Paul Heyman from burying Paul Bearer in cement. Quaker oats everywhere. Mm, yet another classic match for the ages that people will be talking about for many years to come. Where do people go on the Mr. Kennedy match from No Mercy 2006? 
How about the match with Kane at Bragging Rights 2010? What are your views on the encounter with Mohamed Hassan at Great American Bash 2005? I'm keen to hear your opinions on the match with Psycho Sid at WrestleMania 13. I'd like to see evaluations on his bout with the Big Show at Cyber Sunday 2008. Or how about the match with Rob Van Dam at Vengeance 2001? I'd like to hear more about these terrific matchups. <laughs> Your Honor, as you can see, The Undertaker is guilty of many crimes against wrestling. In other words, you should lock him up and throw away the bloody key. Just in case he thinks about coming back one last time. Case closed. Javon Karma. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thank you for that, Jerry, and uh, also very eloquent as well. Always like, uh, always like imaginative uh, uh, emails. The brain follower from Pro Wrestling Only. This is a really tough question because it completely relates to WWE's bizarre version of wrestling history, where a handful of friends are mostly responsible for anything good in wrestling during its biggest boom period. According to WWF, Shawn Michaels is the greatest of all time. <laughs> According to WWE, the turnaround on the Monday Night Wars was Triple H and some other losers showing up at Nitro with a tank. And according to WWE, Undertaker is their longest and most consistent star ever, the living epitome of everything WWE is. So let's take a look at this. First off, was Undertaker ever the guy in WWE? My answer is going to be the most definitely no. At no point in his career was he the top babyface in the company that, Triple H aside, has always been a babyface company. At best, he was second to Lex Luger, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Austin and John Cena. In that sense, he's basically in the Andre role during the Bruno Backlund eras. A big star who pops the crowd in as a special attraction, but is nowhere near the centrepiece of the promotion. Did Undertaker draw money? That's hard to say. People usually came uh, to see someone taking on The Undertaker rather than taking himself for much of his career. That's true of his early days with Warrior and Hogan, and it's still true when he's fighting Austin years later. Once he's became a part-timer with mostly a WrestleMania match each year, then I would say he became a draw. The streak itself was a big selling point, and its completely bizarre and thrown together ending is still a sour note for many fans. I've given him a ton of credit for taking a gimmick that should have lasted about as long as Papa Shango and turn it into the most successful wrestling gimmick of all time. He's a huge star and a Hall of Famer, and definitely among the most important 50 wrestlers of the last 60 years. But yes, WWE massively overplays his importance to company history largely as a result of backstage politics, not so much directly on his part, I feel, and Vince falling out at various times of the people who are, arguably, the biggest stars in company history. Bruno, Hogan, Rock, and Austin. Okay, can we respond to that? I mean, that, that was very Absolutely. impressive. He ended off his first paragraph by saying that, according to WWE, The Undertaker is the longest and most consistent star ever, the living epitome of everything WWE is. I mean, the problem is, is that you start off by saying that the WWE says that he's the longest and most consistent star ever. Longest star, I think that's fairly safe. I mean, longest guy who was, you know, he came in and, and the word star, going with the superstar take of this... Yeah, I mean, he was a star and a big important guy for a really long time. He's never been a jobber, he's never been any of that. So, longest... Okay, was he consistently a star? I guess he was, yeah. Okay, I can go with that. Living epitome of everything WB is. He's been there the whole time. He's been shit when they were shit, great when they were great. As far as epitome of what the WB is... Well, I guess. I mean, if, if, they're gonna, if he's going to say that's what the WWE says he is, I think all three of those points are correct, which means the WWE is representing correctly. True. Did he draw money? Well, once again, he says that's harder to say. I say that's not relevant to the case. I mean, it... it the... So hang on a second. Yeah. I, I want to get this clear, because I think it's actually very important to okay. this entire debate. Hmm. Are we saying he didn't even have to be successful in his role to be given the stature of this all-time legend great superstar he doesn't even have to have drawn money 
He just has to have been there a really long time. And why is that car? Well, it's funny you mention that because a couple of emailers also references quote unquote loyalty to the company as well. Okay, now let, let's be clear on what he was before the Undertaker. Absolutely nothing. True. He was mean Mark. It wasn't until he got to the WWF that he meant anything, I grant you, as the Undertaker. But there's there's a significant in incident here in, with regards to his perceived loyalty when it comes to him and the WWE or WWF. The Undertaker was a registered trademark of World Wrestling Entertainment. If he leaves the company, he can't go as the Undertaker. He's just back to being mean Mark. He's nothing. He's a nobody because he doesn't have the gimmick if he leaves, and he knows that. All the while, he's protected throughout his running WWF. They hide any perceived weaknesses. They protect him from doing jobs. He can't guarantee he's going to get that in WCW. And again, when it comes to his notion of loyalty, how many times did he really have the opportunity to sort of quote-unquote jump? I think we can say with a reasonable assertion, mm -hmm. he's not leaving the WWF in 91, 92, 93 mm -hmm. to go to WCW. At the time, they are on a level equal or greater... He can't guarantee he's going to get his protected spot because he's got to go to WCW in theory without the Undertaker gimmick and deal with the likes of Hogan, Nash, Hall, all the backstage politics involved there. There's no guarantee he's going to be protected in the same way, and he knows it. And he's, he's helped that by giving you know a title run here, time Austin. off there, working with Austin, things he can't get in WCW. So this 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 perceived loyalty, I think. You know, it, it's a mutually beneficial relationship for the wrestler and the company. This, this sort of this notion of um, the goodwill, if you like, I think is incredibly overstated. Feels like you're saying that he oh. was mulling over going to WCW. I just feel like that never even would have crossed no, his no, mind no, no. for a good chunk. We're not even. Yeah, we, we, we don't know. Uh, yeah, but, but, but we're not even saying we are. The point is that the the uh, people playing the loyalty card. When it was in everybody's best interest for him, it's not actually loyalty. That's the best place for but him. But it's also, I mean, at the end of the day, WWE went through some hard times during that period, and there's no stuff in the dirt sheets about oh, Undertaker's looking to leave. It's so a long-term deal for most of it. Well, it's probably what? true. But the thing is, a lot of he, at the end of the day, he, you basically said it was. Um, it was synergistic, that's the word I'm going to use, but that's pretty much what you said. It was uh, beneficial to both Mutually parties. Better. Mutually beneficial. You spat that out, but that's good. You should be in a relationship with your company that you work for that's mutually beneficial. Absolutely. So but what's the problem? The, pro the problem is that is instead of that just being a mutually beneficial the way it should be, yeah. the way you say it's split into something that really it isn't. An undying loyalty and then this this diehard WWF blood. It's really well, not. It's, it's, is, it's, it's, he's part of a relationship. He's not going to get elsewhere because he doesn't have the gimmick if he leaves. So I think maybe you're picking a term, a, a particular definition of loyalty when loyalty is just a much broader term. It's like yes, he stuck with them. Um, he's never had this massive falling out that's made him go on a, a huge long-term hiatus that other people whose loyalty would be more questionable has. He never left them and went so He never even threatened to leave. As far as anyone has ever told me, he's never threatened to leave. I would say that is about as loyal as it gets in wrestling. Uh, Points-wise, uh, it's still tight. Uh, probably tighter than my sweaty keks are on my ball sack right now. <laughs> you can edit that out if you want. Okay, gentlemen, we're going to move on to the third section of this uh, court case which is uh, Special Attractions uh, era The Godfather Part 3 of this uh, yes, whole uh, uh, prosecution um, <laughs> Which we're all obviously much more familiar with uh, in our recent memory so we're going to move over to the prosecution again I believe it's going to be Liam O'Rourke that's going to be taking the lead 
Thank you, Your Honour. We're not talking about years upon years upon years. We're talking about isolated shows annually here. WrestleMania, The Streak. Everybody has fond romantic uh, memories of The Streak. Romantic? <laughs> they were. Every, everybody was was very, very happy to... Uh, yeah, as you said, like people when they would ask, you know, what's Taker doing at WrestleMania this year? What's yeah. going on? People have very fond memories of The Streak. But it ties into the overall theme of what we were saying before about the Andre argument, about what The Undertaker okay. is as the Andre of the company. The special attraction, if you will, as, as we've dubbed this, the special attraction is. Because at no point do I think it's actually more worthwhile of an argument to make than it is during the street period. I, I, don't, I don't buy the argument. That's, that's the thing. The last you know, two periods we've talked about, I don't buy the argument that he's a special attraction if he's not attracting outside the norm. I don't, I don't see how that actually fits. For the streak, however we'll see if this is an argument because what I want to do is break down the years of the Undertaker's streak when it was relevant to see how crucial he was to the success of the Wrestlemanias so one at a time <laughs> we, we were saying what 21 was when the streak was really important for the first time with Orton but I think everybody around the table will say that Batista and Triple H was far more important to the, to the buy rate abnormally large buy rate fourth biggest match on the show at best so there's, I, I there's, believe it may have even been match number four yeah. on the show yeah, yeah. so the, to me it's, there's no argument there that, that match did not draw exceptionally any, any more than yeah. the norm Wrestlemania 23 he's wrestling Batista but Donald Trump and Vincent Mann's drawing the money bottom line okay Wrestlemania 24 he's in the main event against Edge mm-hmm. wins the world championship but by no means can anybody make the, the claim that that's, that's the special attraction that makes this show excel. Floyd Mayweather... It is possible to be a special attraction and not just the special attraction. It's the Vince uh, clown circus gimmick where they've got the clowns, got the acrobat. That's different fine. Different attractions, different people. But again, he's not the main attraction here. Is that, I would, I'd sh- argue, I would, was that Sean and, um, Sean and Flair? Flair? Flair's yeah, last I'd match. that was so, like the match people cared F- about. Floyd Mayweather, yep. Ric Flair's last match, Undertaker Edge isn't denting that show with those two... Matches yeah. aren't. I, aren't I think that ma- that WrestleMania is a really great example of like a circus WrestleMania. Like everything was kind of an important part of that WrestleMania, and nothing stood as the one. I thing. Just, certainly I, I not that main event. I think Floyd did. I, I, Floyd did. I, 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 I don't know because I is okay. Undertaker Edge a bigger attraction than Floyd Mayweather's first wrestling match at the point when he's hot? Absolutely not. No way. I, no, that's fair I, enough. I, I think the word I think the word you used there was quite apt when you when you mentioned spectacle. Mm. WrestleMania 25 was sold primarily on the back of the fact that it was the 25th WrestleMania, the 25th anniversary, as they incorrectly kept saying. Uh, there was you know, this is Taker and Shaw in, in a fantastic match. Again, I'm not arguing the quality of the matches. I, I absolutely adore it. Mm. However, I don't think that that match, even though it was probably one of the best built up matches because it was a very mm. poorly built up WrestleMania, I would debate whether or not that was the main attraction on the show. I think that's the hardest. I think more so than 24. I think 25 is where Holt's previous argument of mm. no one thing drew is actually more appropriate because of the 25th WrestleMania element. Different things draw different people. I can say for a certain thing with that WrestleMania is that is the match that drew me. 26 is the only... This is the first one that Taker truly, in my opinion, is the genuine main event. Him and Shawn Michaels, Street versus Career. This is when the streak's really picking up traction. Did they go on last in that They one? went on last. It was they, the main attraction. They should have gone last show. on the other one. They learned their fucking lesson. And it did a very disappointing buy rate. It did 885,000 buys. It was, the, the Mania was projected to do 1.3 million in, uh, going in. It was the lowest WrestleMania buy rate since Mania 19. So in se- this is the lowest buy rate in seven years at this point, and uh, the ones following it would, uh, would top it as well. So again, the only one where I take it is the true, genuine focus of the special attraction, the streak meaning so much, actually did less... I also argue that the Sean retirement aspect of that was a very big part of that match as well. Yeah, it was. Not just 
take a streak no. on one. It was a very balanced match. It was Sean and Taker. Absolutely, and they both date the blame. And if, and if Taker yeah. was that much of a special attraction, then he wouldn't have done the worst buy rate for, for WrestleMania in seven years. And it's, it's a streak match during this period where the streak is highly romanticized. I don't think it's I don't think it's unfair to say that this match, which was clearly the selling point of the show, when it fails, he he shouldn't take some of the, no, the blunt. I'll go with some. If, if, not, some. if not the bulk. Yeah. You can say that there was a UFC show the night before, but if the streak is truly as important as people perceive, and if that mainstream appeal really does mean that much, then it should be able to compete. And the fact that it couldn't, and, and especially compared to the surrounding manias, I think it exposes the level to which he's a special attraction. Okay, so now we move to the next three years of WrestleMania's, 27, 28, 29, where he's going against Triple H twice and then CM Punk, but this is the Rock period. After the bad WrestleMania buyout from the year before, they bring the Rock in, and he makes a massive difference, and all three WrestleManias do over a million buys. I don't see what the argument there is. WrestleMania 30 was a very, very poor build all around, I thought, and the focus was on Daniel Bryan far more than it was on, on Brock Lesnar Undertaker, which was a, a shit build for what should have been a, an excellent potential match, a shitty build, and of course the streak ends. Since that time, the Bray Wyatt match no one's writing home about. Shane McMahon, this year, I'm not gonna, if someone wants to make the case that tickets, ticket sales picked up when that match was announced, because they did, yeah, I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not gonna argue too much about that one, but again, it's the exception, not the rule. And I think the overriding point that I wanna make here is that nobody's been given more chance to succeed or been overpromoted past the level of results he's produced than Taker. Okay. I mean, he's had so, he's had so many of these prominent things. The streak means so much to so many wrestling fans, but when it actually comes time to, you know, cash in on that, it, it, it didn't yield the results. And, and that's why that's why I wonder how much of this mythological metric, how much it really means outside of to the existing sphere of wrestling fans who watched him growing up. This is, as you said at the beginning, Luke, this is where all that built-up equity is. It's time to cash it in. And he's not the main attraction on many of these. He is a very big attraction, but in no means is it resting on him. And the one time when it did, it was a letdown. The thing with WrestleMania is more so than any other wrestling pay-per-view is they are never in the modern era, never a one-match show because of things like Money in the Bank and The Streak. Because WWE have put redundancies in place. They have their wacky celebrity match, whatever that may be. You know, they're, they're now, they're, now they're attempting the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. They have redundancies. I would certainly argue that The Streak is the most important WrestleMania redundancy that they've ever done. It tops Money in the Bank. Money in the Bank's important, but The Streak, throughout that period, was a steady, important part of WrestleMania. People might not like this main event, but you know what? They might buy it because The Undertaker's doing this. And certainly from that Shawn Michaels period onwards, when his working ability got... You know, he was... I don't know if he was trying hard. It's hard to say, you know what I mean? He's against potentially against better opponents, I suppose you could argue. And they often gave him a lot more build-up in that post the first Shawn Michaels one that 25 onwards I believe that half the time if you told them the two people in the actual title match main event they wouldn't know who one of them was that's not going to draw anybody okay you know I, uh, that's, I remember that very clearly with Batista in that era was well that main event isn't selling or bringing any old wrestling fans back who are a relative you know they're a good chunk there are a lot of people who left wrestling Okay, and they are still mineable. If you can grab their nostalgia hard enough and yank them, you can bring them back. Much easier than you can bring the general public who have no idea what the fuck wrestling is. They are a nice target of market and they're very hard to get. And nostalgia is very powerful in that. And this was a very effective way. This was not your gimmick battle royal. This was a, a constant ongoing thing at WrestleMania of every time the early days it was like right we'll just throw it out The Undertaker Street might be ending then you start doing the stuff with Shawn Michaels and Triple H where they start writing it in such a way that particularly with Triple H they were pitching that there would be a threat 
And I think I, I know people who bought into that and that kind of thing. And thus the streak is demonstrable that it mattered to wrestling fans. But as far as it goes on here, success and impact on the WWE, I think we've already refuted misrepresentation at this point, success and impact on the WWE, that streak, it's always how you define success. Success in creating the mystique and mythos. Somebody said, one of our wonderful listeners did say that the streak helped uh, add to that uh, mythic nature of WrestleMania. Uh, he also, you know, the modern self-conscious epic uh, thing, which, hey, people have negatives about that. But it is a thing that has caught on, and certainly those Shawn Michaels matches did a lot. I've, I've sent those matches on their own, not with the rest of the show, to other lapsed wrestling fans. And it got them to come and watch wrestling again. Did it make them buy a pay-per-view? Impact on the WWE. You can't tell me the streak at WrestleMania in that era had no impact. No, I, no, I'm not saying it had no impact. I'm just saying it had significantly less than every other thing that they promoted as a main event because it was the, the, the lowest buy rate from... 20 from 19 through to 30 when they joined the network when Taker was on top and the streak was responsible for selling the show on its own there are people to watch everything at Wrestlemania because that's what Wrestlemania is I've never once given a shit about a celebrity match but I know that they, they have an impact and they draw I, there is always something there and the streak has always been one of them in, in, in modern era the streak has made a big impact the moment the streak ended that had such an impact on the people I was in, we were in the room with. There was an impact. And that shows that The Undertaker himself, not just The Street, but The Undertaker, if, if one moment specifies the impact and success is... A quick aside on this, because Luke's mentioned here about the fact that it affects us. We are the hardest of the hardcore. I don't think using the impact it has on us is a fair reflection because I would argue without the streak we are all the same sort of people that would still be watching Wrestlemania regardless. I don't think we are a good barometer of what makes or of, the, of a wider impact. I don't buy any argument for wrestling that there's a single barometer for success. The single barometer for how much money you drew is did you draw money? But, like, I'll come back to that example of WrestleMania 13 earlier, and that match is considered a massive success. Well, I don't know. Would you argue then that Austin and Brett wasn't a success? The match was a success, but the pay per view sure wasn't. Okay. And that's why I, I keep coming back to this point that there's, there, there are more than one ways to skin a cat, and there is more than one measure of success. It got and over to existing important. The streak was hugely over to existing fans, absolutely. But again, if their argument is that he's a big star compared to these guys who drew all this money and, and, and again you know, The Rock let's just use him as a comparison here the next three years doing a significantly better buy rate on the trot three years in a row involved with Cena than, than Taker did in the main event with that streak on the line they thought that was going to do 1.3 million buys because they overestimated how important that streak mm -hmm. was and it did a 85 it, it, was, it, was, it was a disappointment it was the lowest one since Mania 19 and I mean this isn't even going to the fact that again Undertaker being in this position and if it wasn't a, a huge difference maker he was in a top 2 match every year and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing because people love their nostalgia and all that but this is also the period of this streak where people can't remember the fucking pay-per-view results from 2008 to 2015 because when it mattered at Wrestlemania it was always about going back 
And, 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 and yes, it meant a great deal for Western fans that they went backwards, but guess what? And going forwards, what this company's needed to do is the reason why things have been going down slowly ratings-wise for years and years and years, because they haven't built new stars, because of this, this fucking tendency to, again, when they've got something like The Streak, which is a big deal to wrestling fans, they, they hold on, they hold on, they hold on, they stick to the myth and the mystique, but ultimately, if it doesn't pay off at the box office, you end up in a situation where they are now, where it's harder than ever to make a star. However... I mean, you're saying that um, what they need to do is create new stars. We can't dispute that. They fell, so they had to fall back on The Undertaker, and fortunately, he was there. Fraud. It's fraud from the fact that the idea of the success of WWE, like you said yourself, that the streak was this huge success. What, what do we have to point to to, to indicate that? The fact okay, that, right, the, the fact that right. the fact when he was on top, the numbers went down? That's not, that's not an indication of success to me. I, okay, well, I, I see what you're saying, but like I say, success is only one third of this. The streak had impact without a doubt had an impact on mania mania modern mania is what it is because of things like the streak because of a, a continuing tradition um and the streak you know i don't think there's any misrepresentation of how uh, how important the streak was because the streak was important so we've hit two of them and the other one we've been talking about previously on success i mean they, we're not going to hit all of them with every one they're not all relevant we're going to go back to the fan feedback on this one um hank hill 85 from wrestlingforum.com He's the fucking Undertaker. Of course he deserves the legacy and respect he's attained for 26 years. Greatest character in progress and history, a household name, most loyal star who never jumped ship or left, and a laundry list of classic feuds and matches. Laz from Pro Wrestling Only. To me, his legacy and relevance can be summed up in one question. Would a random person on the street know who The Undertaker is? The answer is going to be yes, more than it would be no. Part of this... That's a, that's a really not to interrupt John I'm very sorry about this but I do think that's, that's, the, that's one of the more subjective things it depends it, it really does depend who you're around and I don't, I don't know I mean I don't know I mean, I, 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 can, I, can, I, can I check one thing right um, most people like um, like The Rock and like Hogan and stuff I would say that a lot of the general public knows them because they broke into the mass media and went off and did they, films they and things. exactly but I would but, say The Undertaker but, never tried to do that and yet he still has because he's been pushed for, for so long I'm not saying that's a bad thing I'm just saying that I can, yeah, Hulk Hogan, even if he's, he's a film guy, people think of him as the wrestling guy. No one thinks of him as that great film star Hulk Hogan the way people think of Dwayne Johnson. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I just don't, I, I, get, I, I have to question how much that, how far that Undertaker thing goes. Cause to, to use sort of two, two groups of what I will, I'll call non-wrestling fans, I can, I can walk into my, my house as, as a kid, hold up a picture and, you know, my, my mother, my dad, my two sisters, and yeah, they're going to know that's The Undertaker because they've seen me watching him. I walk into my office at work and hold up a picture. They're going to say, "Who the fuck is that?" Because <laughs> they're not wrestling fans. Mm. I think there's more chance. Watch wrestling. Due to the longevity of the Undertaker, though, is that somebody may have stumbled across them on Channel Four at some point down the line, and he is a face you physically remember. Uh, okay, so he says the answer is going to be yes, more than it will be no. Part of this is the WWE machine being uh, as a fantastic at branding marketing as it is. Uh, true, but the same machine failed to make the Berserker and Mantar, and the other equally silly gimmicks into household names. With that said, what separated him from all the others? His pitch-perfect portrayal and overpowering presence. It was less about match quality and memorable angles or rivalries, and more about the aura in the moment, even on the match quality front. If you step outside the PWO bubble, you're going to find more people who feel he had plenty of all-time classics, with expert witnesses like Foley, Hart, Flair, Austin, Michaels, and more to praise his abilities and work ethic. 
The Undertaker's pros wrestling is Jason Voorhees. He's conceptually silly, never executed with perfection, and almost a bit hokey. But you're not watching him to see an Oscar-worthy story unfold anyway. You're watching him to see a six-foot-ten zombie march out with spooky music to chokeslam tombstones from poor SOB. The crazy man uh, from uh, F4W Board... Absolutely. He's a megastar that transcends various eras in WWE. I think he's actually debuted in the Hogan era, and he's still around today is amazing. The character itself couldn't have been played better. For all accounts, wrestlers see him as the leader of the locker room, and WWE is grateful for his loyalty. In addition, for some reason, his work got better as he got older. From really WrestleMania 23 until 29, he probably had the best match on the show each time. Binks from UK Fanform. In honesty, I'm not too clued up on an early Undertaker, but I'm not sure there's anyone who can keep an, uh, an audience as engaged while seemingly doing so little. It might sound... Well, that's a bit of a compliment in the close fist. Uh, it might sound cliche, but for the majority of matches in recent memory, everything is done for a reason. He picks his opponent apart, takes his time over strikes and builds anticipation. There's no wasted motion. So many wrestlers could learn from that even if they don't wrestle the same style. Taker vs Triple H at Mania 27. I remember enjoying the match at the time, but on a second watch, it's as brilliant a match as any to show how to have the fans in the palm of your hand. They focus on selling, physicality, pacing and structure. It's the most complex match on paper, but they are world class at the pennies that make the pound. Malachi from WrestlingForum.com Let me start out by saying that Taker was my favourite growing up. As a child, I see him emerge from the casket and attack Hogan, and I've been a creature of the night ever since. His status as a legend can never be denied. However, I do feel as if that status has been exploited somewhat recently. His match against Bray Wyatt was an example of this. A match of that calibre could have skyrocketed Riot to superstardom, but instead, Taker, a man who supposedly believes in the old guard way of giving the rub to the future stars, treats Bray like all the other monsters he has slain. Then we have his recent WrestleMania match against Shane O'Mac. There was absolutely no reason to even have that match. Nothing was explained, and afterwards nothing was solved. But it didn't put anyone over. All it did was give us a cool spot where Shane jumps off the cell. Hell, they could have had Shane fight Triple H for that. It only existed so Taker could be on the card. Again, we have a man that reputedly believes in giving back, not giving anything. He's innocent, but the courts are keeping their eye on him. Um, Matt, Matt uh, Thurlow, I got that right, uh, Thurlow from Facebook, uh, guilty. People like Cena and Triple H get flack for not putting guys over, but when they actually have done, uh, they do help them. Who has Taker helped? Only people I remember letting uh, him get a clean, uh, a semi-clean pin are Kozlov and the great Carly. And look how those turned out. His locker room leader tag seems nonsense. He wasn't helping when Brett and Sean were throwing their toys around, was he? he? His treatment of other wrestlers from his return as a biker and then continuing past the invasion was also shameful. Gary Thompson from Facebook. It's tough, but I say guilty. For me, the only plus is, was his longevity. I felt he has way more bad matches than good. His promos range from meh to good, but never blew me away. You almost literally had smoke and mirrors, and it looked great until he cuts a promo. Then he just bored me. Yeah, he had great matches with HBK and Triple H, but for me, the bad outweighs the good. We're going to go to closing statements now, guys. So it's all to play for. Yeah, we're going to go to the prosecution first. Who's, who's going to be doing it? Is it uh, Liam? So uh, Liam's going to be doing the prosecution. The point that Gary uh, made there about there being more bad years than good, it's, it's a bit of a subjective uh, one, don't get me wrong. So in terms of weighing up the good years and the bad, let's give it a shot. Again, 
not that this is scientific, but let's talk about how effective we feel he was. Let's go good years. 91, I'd argue, 96, 2007 and 2009, I'd say are fairly effective years for The Undertaker. Good matches, years that you can debate as average, I'd say uh, 98, 2002 and 2008. 98, I, I didn't particularly like him in the ring, but effective as a character. Uh, 99, you could make the same argument. 2002, I personally didn't like him, but I think that there were some good matches in there too. And uh, 2008... Uh, and the few with Edge, I'd say I'd mark as average because I don't personally like it, but some people do. Bad years. 92, 93, 94, 95, 99's ministry is awful. 2000 is the dead man, I think he's ineffective. 2001 with the invasion, he's, he's a fucking blight. 2003, he does nothing good. 2004, we've proven that he, he, he added nothing there. 2005 and 2006. I, I, I don't really see what he did that was all that, all that spectacular during any of those years. So we're talking about give or take depending on your opinion but about 5 or 6 good years a couple of bad, average ones and we're looking at about 10 to 12 bad years depending on your perspective bad years of either poor in-ring work not being effective in the role that he's supposed to be in as a special attraction or just completely underperforming and this isn't bringing in the streak that we mentioned before where I, I fail to see it even though I'm not denying that there was mystique and myth to, the, to this legendary streak at the same point, we have to acknowledge the fact that it, it wasn't responsible for turning this mainstream attention that apparently this character has into money or revenue or anything other than fandom for existing wrestling fans. Uh, the company always likes to drink their own Kool-Aid with stuff like this, and, and, and I think they paint him as something that he, he, he wasn't. I think he has a very important role. I think he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think that he had the impact. I don't think he was as responsible at any point as that he likes to portray. Um, of course, he has his fans, but is it commensurate to the run that he had, the chances he was given, the negative effects he's had at times in terms of chewing up the scenery? Um, I, I, I don't know that he really did. He's the definition of a guy, as we said, who wrestles at the level of his opponent. He's as effective as the company was at the time. I don't see where the special element that means that he doesn't have to be graded by the, the usual metrics comes into play to his benefit. If we can't judge him by his numbers or by his work, what, what is the other thing we're, we're gauging him on? It's our heart. It's, it's, it's our view as wrestling fans that we just enjoy this character and nothing else matters. And that's fine, but when it comes to applying a critical eye, which I, I think should be done when we're talking about, you know, the best of all time, I don't think that we can just throw these out the window just because it's The Undertaker and I like it when his dong goes off. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a rep because most of the people listening right now, most people around this table were kids when they saw him. He's been a constant, but there's been political nightmares along the way. There's been birate failures along the way. There have been periods of complete suckage and ineptitude along the way. But there's no doubt he's had a lot of great moments. No doubt. Misrepresentation of stature. I think that the company has always tried to paint him out to be more than he is. And fraud in the sense of for somebody who's supposedly had this great big long run, there is, is as much if not more bad than good. The WWE and The Undertaker have got to be punished together. Saying Taker can't be blamed for the awful feuds and the bad things that happened when the gimmick was also a result of the company, it was a company given in the first place. I don't see how that argument works. Together they perpetrated a lot of the awful stuff on us. Uh, in the name of establishing this legacy and Taker didn't say no at some times and he did at others when it benefited his position personally and I think that that's kind of the key to this entire debate and we're going to go back over to the defence for Matt Holt with his uh, closing statement okay so thank you very much I think that the key to to uh, the heart of this is, is its really interpretation of the charge and I feel that if beyond a shadow of a doubt is what we're looking for I feel that while the uh, defence and the prosecution have both made strong arguments. I don't feel that there is enough of a case here to measure against The Undertaker's law and his importance and to argue that there is a complete misrepresentation of his value. Um, I think that as, as we made the point earlier, and it's a point we've come back to numerous times, I don't think that The Undertaker's 
is to be measured in quite so simple uh, a terms as some of the individual metrics that we've talked about today. I think that actually he, he clearly needs to be measured um, upon a, a sum of the parts and, and looked at from the perspective of ultimately what does he mean to, and we've talked about different points, we've talked about to wrestling fans, to um, casual fans, to hardcore fans, and I think that all has to come together. But ultimately, I think that when you look at importance of people across the history of WWE, I think you will be hard pushed to find someone that the company values as much, the other wrestlers value as much, because I think we've, we haven't really touched on that throughout, but I don't think this is a guy that you get lots of people saying, and he's too horrendously overrated at his point in history, I think most guys, with the company and without, would generally say yeah, that guy's a you know, bona fide Hall of Famer and his place in WWE is, you know, is there. I don't think WWE makes the argument that he was a huge draw I don't think they're stupid enough to ever make the argument that he always had good matches I, I actually think that their, their representation of him is quite true. They actually say he was an attraction, he was a very unique character and easily the best wrestling character wrestling and gimmick, if you will, in history Therefore, I think, while I appreciate all the points that have been put across, I don't believe that there is an argument here to say that there is misrepresentation. Yeah, we're going to take a quick uh, recess where I will uh, sit here in my sweaty pants and just try and figure out what the fuck I'm going to say. Okay, well, I come back. I've uh, made my decision. The Undertaker and WWE for misrepresentation of stature and fraud in overstating his success and impact on WWE. And believe me, when coming to this decision, decision I have been reading that over and over and over again because at the end of the day, that's the charge that was picked, so that's the one I'm judging on. I, I wanted to base it solely off your arguments. I was going to go into this very kind of cold-hearted and with just my brain, and then Luke said something, okay? And Luke, and Luke, uh, it's dangerous when oh, Luke, shit, I'm it's, sorry. it's dangerous when Luke says something, because he did, he did one thing which we should always do in these, uh, these uh, trials, is he catered to the judge. And when I say that, he, he mentioned about when dealing with The Undertaker, and I take this as a whole with wrestling, you don't just think with your head, you think with your heart as well. And when he mentioned that, I was like, that's absolutely true. So with that, I allowed myself to uh, let my heart be an issue in this. But by that, Luke, you're gonna live and die by that as well. By making me use my heart, it leaves others to manipulate it as well as yourself. So the first point you talk about the decade of destruction, Undertaker in the 90s is about as relevant as I am in a fucking you know, nightclub full of women. At the end of the day, all I'm going to attract are fatties and weirdos, you know, and it's the same thing. That's all he did. When you look at that early period of the 90s, all he wrestled was fatties and weirdos. There is a misrepresentation there of his relevance during that very early period because he, he, was, he wasn't, as you mentioned, you mentioned Hogan. Hogan was the freaking guy, and then it was Brett, then it was Sean. It, it wasn't him. He was stuck wrestling karma. He was never portrayed as being anything more than this is the cheesy carny act of the guy who fucking dies and comes back to life. Oh no, look, now there's a clone of him and they're going to wrestle at SummerSlam. <laughs> when they go back to those DVDs that you mentioned with the streak, those early matches of the streak weren't relevant. Nobody gave a damn. Point number two, 
this was the one that I expected to get the most heated and it most certainly did and it's the, the one that I felt getting more aggravated about you you brought my heart into this Luke so when they turn around and they mention DDP and they mention RVD it's annoying <laughs> But the one that really got me was Brock Lesnar. After everyone's done the job to him to turn around and go to that just bullshit finish, I remember watching that at the time and thinking, this is the biggest load of shit I've ever seen in my life. As the defense has stated, a lot of these incidences where you mentioned the, you know, the John Cena's and so on, ah, it all turned out all right in the end. To this point where it's a bit kind of back and forth on the success and impact. Did he really damage these guys' career? Because he certainly fucking tried. Did it actually do any damage in the end? So point point two is a rather kind of sticking point and it is kind of the main, I think the main section for the prosecution. The point three, for me, was definitely in the favour of the defence. When, when looking at that time period, at the end of the day, at least my barometer, and I'll assume a lot of other people's barometer of that time period, everybody remembers the years by Taker's WrestleMania match. That is an impact, that is, a, that is to a degree of success. Looking, I, because I decided I was going to uh, include the feedback in this, the feedback most definitely favours, I think it's fair to say, the defence yeah. on this one. Even the ones that were listed underneath the prosecution ended up flip-flopping back and forth and saying that they think he's not guilty. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, <laughs> so, so I did take that into consideration because I initially going into this, um, this court case, I generally thought the defence might have been on the weaker side, but obviously looking at this feedback, it turns out there was the prosecution that was actually having the harder case. Misrepresentation of stature. It was the one thing that was brought up to me when you mentioned uh, it was the WWE poll of some kind where I think it was mentioned that he was number two. That number two, that misrepresentation of stature that they turn around and say that he's the number two best, that's misrepresentation. I genuinely don't think if the people are taken out of this, this court case, I don't think anyone would genuinely list Undertaker number two. That stuck in my craw when I heard that. The fraud in overstating his success and impact on the WWE. He kept beating every guy, even if they were brand new. It was Batista, who really could do with a win at that point because he just returned from injury and needed to make sure he was relevant again. Or if it was Edge, who was, who was uh, you know, kind of moved to SmackDown, needed to be hot. Or, you know, CM Punk. CM Punk was a key one as well. The points were incredibly close. It was 32 to 33. And it was in favour. He's guilty. Oh! Bravo! Um, <laughs> um, Sorry, just, is that 32? <laughs> Don't worry, he's already dead by now. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, was, it was 33 to the prosecution. A well-made defence. I think you guys did actually really well considering you had limited time to actually prepare. Uh, I think even with uh, all the kind of feedback, the fact that the people that were writing in saying that not guilty were given just as equally good criticisms of why he's found prosecution just kind of swayed it to me the arguments and just misrepresentation by the actual writers in themselves just kind of swayed it there was enough good points enough good arguments from you two guys in the end uh, i award it he's found guilty right thank you very much i want to uh, now that we can now that we have the verdict i we can get to this this great part of the deal Real opinions on the situation? I can't fucking believe we've won that. I cannot believe that we got a guilty verdict on that because it's a fucking questionable one at best and I don't even know that I agree with everything I said at all. I just, I, I think that, how, how can you not, you know, 
Of course you have to judge wrestling with your heart. That's what wrestling is. It's about emotion. It doesn't make me any money, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, 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 I'm quite surprised that, uh, that we actually managed to swing a guilty verdict here. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very happy and I'm quite amused, to be quite honest. Focusing on isolated incidents, and I can't believe that stupid top 50 superstars list was the smoking gun if that's what it was. Defensive thoughts, please. Kieran's going to kick our ass. Or, or possibly assault G. One of those things. <laughs> um, Your true thoughts. Nah, Come on. No, it's 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 so subjective in truth that it probably should have just been. Yeah, honestly, I, I I can't say that I agree with uh, my own perspective on this one. Of course, I hold those things against the Undertaker, but I don't think it it makes it the real dent in the big picture, which is. Fans' memories. Very, very good discussion. Very fascinating back and forth. I'm, uh, I'm very uh, happy that this discussion was had. Not sure what people's thoughts on the verdict will be. I hope that it's, uh, like you say, it was a, a verdict based on the, uh, the arguments and not necessarily yeah. even the point itself. Yeah. With that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank everybody for all the feedback. Of course, next week we will be back here at SCG Radio to return to the Monday Night War timeline. Uh, we are covering it September and October of 1998 over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun talking Raw and Nitro and all the notes from the Wrestling Observer newsletters of the time. Can't wait to get to this one. Been looking forward to it for a number of weeks. Uh, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. So thank you very much for all the feedback. If we didn't get to yours this time, we apologize. We've unfortunately run out of time. But uh, we will be back here at SCG Corp very soon. And of course, you can join Join us next week here at SCG Radio for the Monday Night War Timeline. So, for Carl Jones. I've just read that this carling can says people who are pregnant shouldn't drink. I dodged a bullet there. For Luke Edwards. Pimping time. Visit clockworkescapes.co.uk for an escape room experience like no other. Yeah, I have no shame. For Matt Holt. I'm all out of zombie sit-ups. And for G. John Chase. Just to clarify, the the punishment is going to be he's going to be taped to a chair and forced to watch his match with Chronic on a constant loop forever and ever and ever. It's all right, we're going to put Marty Ginetti in the chair. We'll be fine. <laughs> and on that note, I am Lee Walk and we are out of here. Talk to you next week.